0: Hello and welcome to the Work of Wellbeing podcast. I'm Amy from the Wellness Strategy and I'm your host, and sometimes just the person you're going to listen to talk. We have a range of episodes. If you haven't already dived into those, please go ahead and do so. But what this podcast really is about is giving you insights into different things that support wellbeing that perhaps we don't always think of. We have a range of guests who are going to broaden our understanding and experience on what well-being actually looks like, especially in the workplace. And I too will be sharing with you tips, insights, strategies, and just my overall thinking and ramblings. So hang out with us as much as you can, learn as much as you can, and if there's anything you want me to speak of or a guest you want me to interview, absolutely let me know because this is the work of well-being, which means all of us are here together to do the work that matters most so you can have a thriving, fulfilling life both in and out of the workplace. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wellbeing Podcast. I am so excited because today our guest is Sue Langley. Now, this is a little bit of a, I suppose, a fangirl moment for me because Sue took me through my Diploma of Positive Psychology and Wellbeing, but is just a wealth of knowledge. And when I was prepping for this and thinking, oh, what are we going to talk about? I couldn't decide. So I've just said to Sue, we're going to talk about everything and see what happens. But um, Sue, thanks for joining us. Could you tell everyone who you are and a little bit about
1: yourself? Of course, and it is a pleasure to be here, Amy. I'm absolutely overjoyed to be here because I love seeing what you're doing with this stuff. Um, So my name is Sue, Sue Langley. I'm the CEO and founder of the Langley Group and also uh, the co-director of the Langley Group Institute. Um, which is where we run our Diploma of Positive Psychology and Wellbeing. And I suppose who I am, I'm I'm hopefully somebody who uh, I aim every day to uh, breathe spirit into the minds of others to achieve their level of excellence. That's why I get up in the morning. Um, and if I can share some of the science, some of the knowledge and inspire people or equip people to do something a little bit better uh, and show up more frequently as the best version of them, that's why I do what I do.
0: And how amazing to be able to gift that to others and not in a way that is just, oh, here's some cool things to do, but actually with science. And I think that's what I love so much. Well, I love that so much in the diploma. And that's what keeps, uh, I guess, me coming back to this space is that sometimes positive psychology gets a bit of like a woo woo. Is it really like, what is it? But actually there's so much science in it. Can you tell us, Um, I suppose, some of the the biggest pieces of science or research that people need to understand when we hear positive psychology or well-being?
1: Yeah, it's hard to nut down to just one or two. I suppose the key thing is um, that it's not happyology. It's not um, let's all pretend to be happy. Um, If you're pretending to be happy all the time, that's toxic positivity. That's just you putting a big smile on your face and even though your world is falling apart, you're, you know, pretending everything's okay. Um, For me, when I think about the science of well-being um, and what positive psychology aims to do is it's really uh, positive psychology is the scientific study of human flourishing in very basic terms. What people sometimes misunderstand is that they assume flourishing means life is going really well. Um, And yet, as we know, life doesn't always go really well. Sometimes life sucks. It throws really tough things at us. What I really love is positive psychology is about scientifically studying the art or the science of human flourishing. So what is it that one person does that means that they can still flourish through adversity? And the way I often think about it is, do I have more tools in my toolkit than the adversity that's coming at me? Mm. now it might be there are times in your life where 10 adverse things are coming at you and you really don't have the tools in your toolkit and that's okay you drop into languishing for a while and then hopefully you gain more tools but it's really about can I put as many tools in my toolkit as possible so that if adversity happens or when adversity happens because let's face it it will when trauma happens etc when these difficult things happen have I got the tools in my toolkit to get back to flourishing as quickly as possible it's not that um I you know I just flourishing means life is great and everything's wonderful um there's a lot more to life than that and sometimes the the challenges if we've got the tools in our toolkit are the things that can really end us end up making us the best version of ourselves and leveraging our strengths etc so it's a very very wide area I suppose is the hugely
0: wide what I love About what you shared just then though is it's about having tools and we've got to actively work on those and that's what i where i think i some of this um misinformation has come about it's not about doing nice things to feel good it's actually about actively seeking out those tools you can have in your toolkit and sometimes well-being is hard work sometimes Mm. using those tools and strategies it, it does take determination or commitment or consistency or sometimes doing things that you you don't want to do because laying on the couch and watching Netflix is easier. But that's not, that's not how we we work on getting ourselves back to that flourishing space. Yeah. And I mean I yes, there are hundreds of things we could do, but in your, I suppose, experience and knowledge and wisdom, what would be some of the fundamentals, like the foundations to flourishing that every human should be accessing and working on?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I, I'm i going to uh, totally admit I have a slight bias here because I am a firm believer in the, um, the science of emotions being an yeah. underpinning driver. Mm. So I spend a lot of my time helping people understand how emotions work, how we regulate our emotions. To your point, sometimes emotional regulation is making myself do something I don't want to do, but I know I probably should, or mm. stopping myself doing something that I really want to do, but I know I shouldn't. Um, and if we can manage our emotions more effectively, we'll often find that other areas of well-being get supported. And and I'll give you an example because as I say, I admit uh, this is my absolute foundation. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Because if if I am feeling sad and flattened down, I might know that going for a walk or a run is going to help me, but I don't want to go. So unless I can manage my emotions that says, okay, I know I'm feeling sad and flattened down and that's okay. I'm welcome to stay there. If I choose, I can accept that I need to grieve right now if I'm grieving, or am I just having a whingy boring moment? And no, I need to, you know, pick my butt up off this sofa and get my bottom out the door. Um, and that for me is a bit of a fundamental that if we can manage our emotions more effectively, because often what we do is we do things to try and to your point sort of like strive or search for happiness and let's just be happy i'm going to go and buy something because that'll make me happy i'm going to go and um you know do social media because that make me happy or whatever it happens to be but sometimes we need to put a hold on those and do things that are more meaningful that psychological well-being that i know in the moment might not make me happy and yet i know it's going to contribute more it's going to make a difference so for me it's that emotional component that i think underpins so much that is my my starting point with people
0: yeah. That's such a huge piece. When I was making some notes, I had that down to ask you. And I thought well, we could just do a whole podcast on on that, couldn't we? A whole, a whole piece on emotions. And I think with emotions, especially like if I think about my, like I'm 38. So, you know, people around their mid thirties or even older, the idea of, knowing your emotion or naming it or being okay with it it's still quite new we do it lots in schools for students you know there's lots of emotional regulation programs or emotional intelligence and awareness we talk about emotional intelligence for like leadership skills or capacity working in teams but this piece around understanding our own emotions being okay with what they are how do we do that how do we become comfortable with some of those things and not thinking we have to bypass them.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a key thing. And I often have little sayings that I use on myself and people can borrow them if they like. Um, One of the things that I often say is get comfortable with the uncomfortable emotions. Um, because sometimes there will be an uncomfortable emotion. Um, I have activities that I ask people to do sometimes as part of the diploma or leadership courses, et cetera, and I ask people to do the activity. And sometimes what I get back is this look of horror on somebody's face or anxiety or whatever you – and it's like, it's okay. Get comfortable with the uncomfortable emotions, sit with it, notice how you feel, and then figure out what you're going to do. And the funny thing is most of these activities, by the time people get past their discomfort and do the activity – The benefit they get from it is huge. And yet the emotion is often what holds us back. It's like, oh, no, I'm feeling anxious. I'm not going to do it. Mm. And yet when you do it, it could. I had one exercise years ago I asked somebody to do. They basically had to go and approach a stranger and, and do something. Nothing rude, nothing too difficult. But this one person would not do it. She just, I can't, I'm too anxious, blah, blah, blah. And eventually we worked up the courage. We worked up some strategies and and I stood to one side, you know, off hidden while she went and did the exercise and the high she was on when she came back. And it's like, well, if you don't override those, if you don't manage them, then you're never going to stretch yourself. You're never going to push yourself. We're always going to be the, you know, sitting on the sofa, binge watching Netflix because it's Mm -hmm. comfortable. So I I think that's one thing the the way that I often talked about it is four A's. Um, so awareness, awareness of how I'm feeling. That's the first thing. Am I aware of my physiological changes that's telling me how I'm feeling, what's going on in my brain, etc. cetera? The second one is acceptance, which is putting a word to it. Um, And to your point, most of us don't have a huge emotional vocabulary. We learn happy, sad, and angry when we're at school or kindy, um, and then we never do anything else on it. So putting a word, which is acceptance, accepting I am sad, I am feeling sad right now, I'm feeling anxious right now, and actually just putting a label to it. The third one um, is what we call adjustment. And the third A is basically saying, is this emotion serving me right now? If the answer is yes, awesome. Don't bother with step four. We just know that we could make an adjustment if we wanted to, but we don't want to because I am going to sit with my grief right now because it's the right thing to do. Or I am going to sit with my discomfort right now because it's okay. I don't have to go and do anything else. So the third one is adjustment. But the first question is, Is this emotion serving me right now? If the answer is yes, awesome, sit with it. If the answer is no, what adjustments can you make? And Mm. we often talk about different adjustments, linking body, brain, relationships, environment. Um, What strategies have I got in my toolkit? This is the the tools in my toolkit. And then the the fourth A, which sometimes people forget, is the action. Mm. (laughs) So awareness, acceptance, adjustment and action. Many people know what they should do or could do we don't always do it and again it's one of my sayings um that in my own head really works for me you know it do you do it there is so much knowledge that's out there and sometimes you would find the same thing I'm sure is we share information with people and people nod and go yeah yeah I know that yeah I know that well guess what your life will not change because you know it it's the doing of it that's important and there's lots of posh terms for this um psychological terms in neuroscience they call it activation and installation but it's basically you know it do you do it yeah <laughs> you know these things are useful for you if you know getting off your bottom and going out and doing some exercise or getting some fresh air or doing 25 star jumps or eating healthily is useful for you then it doesn't make a difference unless you do it
0: yeah absolutely and we can get caught up in that space of i'll just learn a little bit more or i'll just find out some more information but In its most simple form, some of the things that we could be doing for our own uh, well-being and health, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, whatever it might be, are actually quite simple. It is those things like moving or nourishing or understanding how foods impact our physiology and our cognitive load or our thinking and our emotions, but we have to take action. We can't just well, It's, it's
1: really interesting you say that, Amy, because one of the things that uh, myself and my team have been looking at lately is so, as you know, we run the Diploma of Positive Psychology and Wellbeing that you're, you've been a part of. Yeah. We do it face to face and we do it virtually. Um, And uh, with the face to face, there's six days um, intensive and then assessments with the virtual. There's roughly 15 evening sessions uh, week by week and then assessments. And one of the things that we've we've only had anecdotal, but we're starting to pull the data on. The people that say, Wow, this has changed my life and they are doing amazing things are the people that have done the assessments. Mm. The people that come to the six days of the immersion and go, Oh, I had an amazing week in Byron. It was fantastic, it was wonderful. And I learned all this stuff and it was so much fun, but don't do the assignments and not seeing the changes and that's the thing that reinforces over and over again to me you know it do you do it it'll be the people that do it and as you know with the diploma assignments you have to to complete the assignment you have to do stuff because yeah yeah, it's practical Um, so that's really been noticeable that the people who actually do the stuff the activities are the ones that notice their life shifting and changing and their well-being improving
0: Mm, yeah, I re- often get asked about the diploma or what have I done? I always recommend your diploma. And one of the things that I really highlight is that the, the assignments or the assessments that you do, they are practical. So it's putting those things into practice and that's where you see the change. And as you were talking before about uncomfortable things, I was, some of the assessment tasks that we go through are uncomfortable. You know, they do that. I was thinking of some of those. And, but <laughs> having not done that, you don't get the benefits of it or really see it. And so it's that... It's that permission to make change. I think sometimes we don't give ourselves that. We know things are good to us or we get stuck in but we get stuck in the way things are. And it's that that piece of I have to do things differently and that can be uncomfortable. But once you get over that, as you were saying, the benefits really are immense. And that's the life-changing piece of this work, I think.
1: Absolutely. And for me, one of the strategies that I really love um, that sort of come out of the positive psychology research and and several people talk about and they maybe have different language, um, curiosity or noticing. Um, One of the things that I've noticed is that the more I get curious and I notice the new, et cetera, the more it helps lift me and expose me to, to new and different things and expand and push yourself out of your comfort zone. It's very easy to your point of when we think we know stuff to go critiquing narrow yep I know this I do this yep yep I know what I'm doing and we critique and we can easily push away other things so this is the way I've always done it this is the way it needs to be done when we're curious and we notice the new and the different it can often open us up to new possibilities new ways of thinking new ways of feeling
0: Mm, yeah I um was watching one of your clips recently about um, you were talking about emotional regulation or emotions and different things and when we talk about new things or I think um even aspects of health and where we want to go, often what comes up are things like movement or nutrition. And in one of the clips I was watching, you were talking about gut health and how that impacts what we're thinking. And I thought that was a really in a really interesting and insightful thing to share because sometimes we don't put connections together of the different pieces of our well-being or our health. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that really relates to taking action and emotions and all of those things.
1: Yeah, so part of my background is the neuroscience side of things. So I did my master's in neuroscience of leadership. And I've been really interested in uh, that neuroscience element. And often people just think that's the brain. But obviously, there's a whole bunch of neurological elements uh, that sort of play into it. So I was lucky enough to spend um, a few weeks at the neuroscience school for advanced studies a few years back. And one of those weeks was on the microbiome. And what I really loved about that is there's lots of popular books out there um that are some are good some not so good that are trying to tell you to diet and it's how you lose weight oh well your microbiome is important Um, if you take that to one side and say regardless of whether you want to lose weight put on weight whatever you want to do We now know that um, the microbiome, and the microbiome has often been centered around the gut, but actually your microbiota is every bacteria on your skin, in your eyes, in your nose, up your mouth, wherever it happens to be. Um, But obviously the microbiome in the gut is where we've paid most attention. We're getting so much interesting research now that has indicated how much the microbiome, the bacteria, if you like, in our gut in particular, is linked um, through the vagus nerve to our uh, um, neurotransmitters in our brain, um, how it links to our mood, how it links to um, non-communicable diseases. So although we've got research around um, things like um, how the gut plays a part in um, things like diabetes, heart disease, obesity, uh, um, factor X syndrome, um, various other autoimmune diseases, MS, etc. We've got a whole load of Uh, connections to physiological or physical disorders, we've now got some really interesting um, research around the psychological elements. So we've got research that has indicated that the gut plays a part in things like social anxiety disorder. Um, So even um, one particular bacteria, a strain of bacteria called Lactobacillus ruteri has been found to be linked to social anxiety, in that if I have social anxiety disorder, I probably don't have that bacteria in my gut, if you restore that bacteria in my gut, I'm no longer anxious in social situations. So that's really interesting. And they've done this. Oh, it is huge. Wow. Um, You know, we've got research um, from the gut bacteria perspective that blows me away around cross species transfer. So, for instance, um, if you take human poop from a depressed human being and you put it into a cage of mice that are perfectly normal, germ free, all good, um, they will start exhibiting signs of um, depression. Now, think about that. Mice eat poop. I know it sounds gross, but that's what happens. Um, And they're around the bacteria. So the bacteria uh, colonizes in the mouse's gut and the mouse shows signs of depression. Now, when I say that, people go, well, how do you know a mouse is depressed? Exactly the same way as, you know, a human is depressed. They move less physically. They're less interested and curious in their environment. They're not interested in social interaction. They want to shut down. They want to sleep and stay still a lot of the time. it's the same sort of process and we've got amazing meta-analysis now that's starting to pull together numerous studies in this play this space around how the gut microbiome is linked to depression anxiety and various other um things to do with neurodiversity and things that we think of as non-communicable disorders
0: that is just absolutely mind-blowingly fascinating
1: um i I love the whole microbiome
0: (laughs) whoa (laughs) whoa yeah. So I have to ask, and there may not be an answer to this, or there may be, um, or it may be complicated, or maybe simple. Maybe you can help us understand if, when we're talking about that and the microbiome and gut, and obviously we're talking about. I'm assuming I could be wrong that it is related to food and nutrition and what we eat. So is there any specific foods that add add to these things, or that we should or shouldn't have? Or I mean, I really don't like polarizing and boxing in in that aspect. There may be things that we like. This actually really contributes to that.
1: Yeah, look, there, there are. And I think what's really important is to be careful where you read information, mm-hmm. um, because um, if you look at the researchers, they will say, be careful, because sometimes there will be something you read that suggests you should take this supplement and it yeah. will restore your gut. And really, it's just somebody wanting to make money because there's a lot of um, uh, probiotics that by the time you, they leave the fridge or the by the time you've swallowed them, the active ingredients are gone. It's completely pointless. You're literally swallowing money. Um, So I like to go to what the research has found. And it's fairly new. So we've still only identified about 40,000 strains of bacteria. We know that um, certain bacteria is helpful um, and um, they're called commensals, the good stuff. You've got pathogens, which are bacteria, which are not so good stuff. And then you have some general ones that don't necessarily do good or bad for the human, but they're actually really good for the good bacteria sometimes. Um, So when you think about what to eat, it's not necessarily as simple as that because there are certain things within our environment that have changed the diversity of our microbiome as species. So our use of antibiotics in foodstuffs is Mm. massive um, and has really impacted the diversity of our our own uh, being. Um, if you think about, um, birth practices, if you think about antibiotics that kill every bacteria in your stomach, when you take antibiotics it, uh, in the future, I would love to think we will have an antibiotic that will only kill mm. the pathogen that you need to kill, not all bacteria, but at the moment, most antibiotics basically just get rid of everything. Yeah. Which means you're stuffed. It's why we yeah. end up with irritable bowel autoimmune disorders, etc. because we've yeah. got nothing to work with. What's really interesting is, um, Looking at what's, there are certain bacteria we know have been started to link to certain things, but we don't necessarily have the nuance yet to say, eat this one thing and that will give you that bacteria. In general, the Mediterranean style diet seems to be the better from from a mixture of things that gives you, um, uh, and it's all things people already know, Mm. Reduce processed foods. I mean, processed Mm. foods are not helpful for getting um, good bacteria. So it's a lot of things that most people know, not necessarily that we do. Um, Colorful foods, as I say, Mediterranean diet. One of my favorite books is um, called Brain Food by Lisa Moscone because she's a neuroscientist and she got a PhD in nutrition to try and combine the two. Um, And she talks a lot about that. Uh, Another one of my favorite books written by the neuroscientists behind the scenes is The Psychobiotic Revolution. It's a brilliant book for understanding where we're at from a a scientific perspective. Um, What's really important to me is that you know it, do you do it? Mm. So my example that I often give is when I spent a week um, with the leading neuroscientists on the microbiome, I actually asked them at the end of the week, I asked the leading person, you know the most in the world about this topic. What have you changed from knowing that? And he looked at me and he said, Hmm. well I guess I'm just more aware and I just thought to myself wow if the leading person hasn't made changes to his diet movement environment what hope do people like you and I have <laughs> who are trying to help other people what's really interesting for me is on the very first day I established that there's a short chain fatty acid, acid some of you may be familiar with called butyrate and I established I ate nothing that gave me butyrate. And butyrate is really important in the gut because it helps feed the good bacteria. So it doesn't necessarily help me by itself, but it feeds the good bacteria that helps me. And I realized I ate nothing that gave me butyrate. So I immediately went out and bought olives because that was one of the things on the list. I was in Venice, why not? I hated olives at that point in time. I and just detested was not interested in olives and I still wound at least four or five olives down me every day now I love olives and I still have them every day um but I thought well wow I changed something on the first day and yet this person hasn't changed anything so to your point a lot of things around diet we already know
0: yeah still not doing it just still not doing them yeah isn't that interesting I wonder if that relates to I mean I'm sure it does relate to things like movement or sleep or um, you know other things that we yeah just other things in that realm I suppose that we know information and I think that's um, why I find like this work still matters so much but sometimes I feel like we know it do we need more study or more research I think sometimes we just need more action we just need more action to create change.
1: Well what's really important about the research if I give you an example so uh, and I'll link it to the, to the microbiome, but it's the same thing with many other things. Um, so from a bacterial perspective, there are bacteria in our gut that like to, for instance, eat sugar. If you are, um, have bacteria in your stomach, they are live creatures, they want to eat sugar, they are gonna demand sugar. As in, they want to stay alive, so they're gonna have to figure out how to send a message through to the host, as in us as the human ah, being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I imagine these little bacteria in my stomach going, feed me, feed me, feed me. And the way they do it is they send a message up through the vagus nerve to my brain to basically say, hang on, you've got a craving, you need some sugar, please. I then put it in my mouth, which means the bacteria go, woohoo, thanks very much. And they proliferate. Great for the bacteria. But that means then I'm going to be eating more sugar because I've got more bacteria that want sugar. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm feeding the good bacteria that then demand broccoli, that then demand, you know, I just had hummus and um carrot and sticks for my lunch because i want to feed those bacteria what's really interesting that we know from the science now which is i find fascinating is you will also have bacteria in your stomach that might like to feed on certain hormones or neurotransmitters or hormones in the mm. gut particularly. so um, you might have um bacteria that like to feed on cortisol cortisol oh, is the wow. stress hormone so guess what you come to a less stressful period in your life and your bacteria in your stomach are going feed me feed me feed me which means you might be creating stress in your life in order for the bacteria to get what they want now that is where it gets really interesting
0: that is huge I think that is like again mind-blowing but I'm thinking of in a in a workplace or a teacher situation I, I I mean I would I say this but I'd I don't know. Maybe there is science in it. Now is what you're sharing is that we, as educators, generally we we seem to like to create stress. Like if there's not work to do, we find something to do. If we've got a spare twenty minutes, which you know sometimes rarely happens, we don't see it as an opportunity to do something for ourselves. We think, oh, well, I need to fill it with this busyness or this space. So is it is it part? Is that
1: it? Similar. It may be. I mean, it could be many reasons, and this is the important thing about understanding yeah. wellbeing holistically. So it could be. Um, that, yes, maybe the bacteria are demanding I' be stressed and get to get the cortisol, hoo, That's great. It could also be, um, from a neuroscience perspective, my neural pathways. So I have continually gone down the pathway mm-hmm. of this is awful, this sucks, my life is totally this. Oh, I hate this, I don't like this, And I've got neural pathways that are around negative thought patterns or negative emotions, etc, that have grown so strong that that's the easiest pathway for me to zoom down. Um, so we have to bear that in mind as well is, you know, lots of people have read things about habits over the years. Mm. And that's great. But people sometimes think habits are habits of behavior. I clean my teeth every night. Woohoo, Good habit. I sleep with my phone next to the bed. Ooh, not a so good habit, whatever it happens to be. But habits can be habits of thought, habits of emotion. So to your point, I could have the gut bacteria screaming at me to be stressed, but I could have also created some really strong neural pathways of I have to feel busy all the time. I have to look busy all the time. I have to be scurrying around all the time. And so what happens is even when I might have a lull, I have those neural pathways. I have those habits that mean I don't feel settled unless I'm fulfilling that habit again and I'm getting myself worked up or talking negatively or whatever it is I'm doing.
0: Yeah, which actually I think connects back to what you were saying right at the start around being comfortable with being uncomfortable and sometimes uncomfortable looks like resting or moving away from the negative conversation to having a positive conversation or learning to, um, you know, put yourself first or whatever that might be. Even though they sound like good things, they can be uncomfortable. Mm.
1: Absolutely. Um, And and again, it depends on what we've got used to the same as if I've created a really comfortable life where I do spend a lot of time relaxing and peaceful and looking after myself and sitting on my sofa and whatever you then I might have a really busy period that I'm like, I can't cope with that. Um, So to your point, it's like, sometimes we need to be stretching ourselves, we need to be acknowledging that I do feel a little uncomfortable at the moment. I don't really feel like doing this. But do you know what, for my long term goal, this is really helpful for me or equally to your point i need to just stop and take a breath and just think is there a better way of doing this and and for me it's not about one way is right or wrong what works for you might not work for me um people over the years have said to me time and time again you can't keep burning the candle at both ends um the number of people who've said that to me over the years is is huge and I had one gentleman once, which was just awesome. And uh, and I said, oh, people keep saying you can't burn the candle at both ends. And he said, why not? And I went, thank you. <laughs> because maybe there's other options because if, uh, yes, if you burn the candle at both ends, yes, in theory, a real candle, it's gonna burn out but you can't usually burn a candle at both ends because the way the wax drips and all that, but any of that's a whole other topic. But what I mean is there might be different ways of doing things yeah. the way my strengths work the what gets me out of bed in the morning is doing what I do so that amazing people like yourself and many many others are out there changing the world and doing stuff I don't have to do it all but what can we all do if we do that together and the only way I can do that for me is the things I do that look after my well-being to keep me doing the things that sometimes get stressful sometimes get overwhelming yes, I've had adversity and I felt like vomiting sometimes with some of the things that have happened over the years because you're like, oh, I don't have to deal with that. But guess what? Sometimes it's the things that really make a difference when you throw yourself into them and, and allow them to be, I suppose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's It is just knowing what are my tools or what tools don't I have? What do I need to build? What can I draw upon? And also that the work of positive psychology and well-being is not about being happy all the time. Life, life if you are living life fully and you're out there and you're doing things and you're and you're present and taking action or whatever it might be, gosh, there are gonna be some moments that just aren't fun or enjoyable. That is just part of it. And so it's how do we get
1: through those? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah
0: well this might be a wonderful um, moment to press pause before I ask you another question and we go off on some amazing um, conversation <laughs> would be but before we finish I'd love to ask you some fast five questions if that's okay go for it all right let's do it so what's something you know now in the context of well-being that perhaps you wish you knew earlier on in life
1: That's a good question Oh there are so many things I could answer this question um, <laughs> I'm going to get down to the the basics again of how to manage emotions. I, yeah. I really would have loved to have learned that sooner because for me, when you manage your emotions, you get there faster um, as opposed to stuffing it up and then having to figure out how to get yourself out of it. Um, so I think that would be a key one. Oh, sorry. I do have one more. One more that I think is really interesting is the importance of strengths. Um, because I had a moment of insight where for most of my life um, exercise wasn't something I particularly enjoyed um, until probably the last 10 years or so Um, and my moment of insight is because everything I did at school that involved any form of exercise was always linked to competition and competitive Mm. is my biggest weakness and it always has been and it made me realize why I hated any form of sport because it was always competing at school so why does that resonate is because from a well-being perspective if I can use my strengths every day I can use those strengths to compensate for the challenges compensate for my weaknesses but most importantly get me through difficult times when I'm tapping into my strengths so that would probably be another thing
0: yeah and it's I love now that in schools we are addressing both of of those things early, emotional regulation and also um, around strengths. And I will get you to tell us about the exciting thing that you're doing next year at the end. So we'll do that. Um, Or what book are you currently reading?
1: Um, I'm always
0: reading lots.
1: I am. Um, I've got about seven currently piled <laughs> next to my bed. Uh, I'm currently in the middle of three books. Uh, one is an Ian Rankin novel that I read on my phone when I've got five minutes sitting at a bus stop or whatever. Uh, a second one is a paperback uh, thriller called The Cabin by a um, Scandinavian author. And the third one is Positive prov- Provocations by Robert Bizwastina around um, provoking div- better coaching questions.
0: Oh, yeah, amazing. That would be amazing. Um, what are your non-negotiable wellbeing habits? Do you have any things that you're like, this is it for me?
1: I do. um, I always think of um, two two key things. One is brain and body basics, which is eat, sleep and exercise. And the other is positive emotions. So I have things that I do every single day. So I try to move um, regularly, even if it is 25 star jumps in the corner of the room. Sometimes I do find myself literally working from, you know, 8 a.m. till sometimes midnight or I go to bed at 9 and roll out of bed at midnight to do another session. So eat, sleep and exercise are my foundations. Even to the point when I'm doing things virtually, I will skip the shower if it means I can get 10 minutes of exercise in because nobody can smell me down the screen. Um,
0: <laughs> I mean, I couldn't put my hand on and attest to I have walked in the door from a, a gym session at 5 to 9, thrown a different shirt on and been on at 9 o'clock. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs>
1: So easy sleep, and exercise. And I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I love chocolate. Um, You know, I, I don't, but I'm generally fairly good. So they're my non-negotiables. And the other thing is, because I know the power of positive emotions, I have lots of little things that I do every day that I know help me manage my emotions. Even if I don't need to on that day, I do them every day so that they're so habitual that on the bad days, they're at my disposal when I need them.
0: Mm, awesome. And have you ever tried uh, to implement anything because like someone said you should do it or the research said, but then it actually didn't work for you at all and it wasn't your
1: thing? Yeah, I actually encourage that for people. So I have a saying, another one, uh, treat yourself as a scientific experiment. So um, mindfulness is a big thing. Like there's years of mindfulness research now that's come out of positive psychology as well as two and a half thousand years of people not needing research behind it. Um, and, uh, I absolutely I implemented mindfulness and I religiously did it or not religiously cause that indicates faith-based, but I did it every day and made it a habit. And at the end of eight weeks, I'm like, kind of didn't do much for me. It was something that I tested on myself. And for me personally, it doesn't make a huge amount of difference. One of the things that I do find is um, when I lost somebody close to me a few years ago uh, and I was experiencing grief uh, because I understand grief, the brain slows down, all that sort of thing, all this stuff. I did various things. And one of the last things I did was an honoring mindfulness, honoring grief, mindfulness um, practice. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm done. I'm sorted. So I'll use it if I if I want to at a particular time. But it was one of those things that after doing it for eight weeks, I'm like, no, nope, I'm not noticing my sleep is any different. My stress is any different. Nothing seems to have changed. Doesn't really do it for me. Um, and I would really encourage that because there are certain things that I do um, around journaling or gratitude, et cetera, that somebody else might do for eight weeks and go, no, nope, doesn't do it for me. And that's. Perfect. Yeah,
0: I love that. Treat yourself as an experiment, because I, I do always say to people, you know, you've got to try it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't mean there's, that you you need, your your well-being is going to be poor because you don't like mindfulness or you like can't ever that's be happy exactly. like that's not it so you've got to find the things that work for you so that's yeah. a great and answer. I
1: still teach mindfulness to yeah, people. you do not the course thing. but yes. as an intervention but I will always share with people it's about person activity fit um and we shouldn't assume just because your favorite thing is one thing it's going to be somebody else's favorite thing <laughs> absolutely yeah. um
0: all right last question what area of life or well-being or leadership or anything at all are you working on for yourself at the moment
1: oh always many things i love um again treating myself as a scientific experiment so uh for probably the last 20 years one area that i do focus on which is an under um, under understood i'm not sure that's the right word a less understood area misunderstood misunderstood maybe um (laughs) uh area which is the area of interoception or basically physiology So I'm a big fan of understanding physiology and how it makes you feel, not just from an exercise perspective, that's a a different sort of topic, just how you hold yourself, um, the tension in your body, how you sit, how you move, those sorts of things can change how you feel. Um, So I'm always focusing on that one, because I know it's changing your physiology has been shown to improve willpower and self-regulation, as well as shifting emotions in the moment. So that's probably one area. Um, I am always uh, currently focused on strengths. Um, one of the reasons I trundled off to Italy and put myself in a particularly uncomfortable position uh, for a few weeks was because my unrealized strengths of courage, adventure and growth. So I thought, right, let's go do something that's gonna go and uh, put me out of my comfort zone. Uh, so that was one of the, things. and I know Italy doesn't sound like it's out of your comfort zone, but believe me, it, it was a bit challenging <laughs> <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Um, So there'll be things like that. Um, The other thing that I regularly do um, that, again, sometimes people do once in their life or not at all is around values. So I have my values up on the wall and I consistently check in with those of where I'm at. I'll actually give myself a score of how am I living and breathing these values today. Um, And one activity that I did very, very recently um, was checking in around meaning. So when we think of the science of meaning, we've got um, cohesion, significance and purpose. Um, I um, spend a bit of time exploring, am I still living in line with all three of those pillars uh, with what I do? So, yeah, I I work on this stuff all the time and and I love it. And as I say, some things are just non-negotiable. I do every day and some things I dip into um, on a regular basis so that I can still ensure I'm keeping my well-being high.
0: Mm, I love that. Thank you. And that is, that is it. It, it, It's you've got to actively work on the things.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I do is jigsaw puzzles too. So I've got a jigsaw puzzle constantly behind beside me just to clear my head. (laughs) A great little tool to have that's,
0: I actually have a yoga mat behind me and I am a big meditator mindfulness person so I do dip in and out of that during the day that really does work for me but it's great to hear that you know it doesn't
1: work for someone else and um I can't do puzzles because I can't walk away from them so (laughs) I do set a timer but that's only because I've got time optimizer as my top strength so Uh, (laughs) all right very quickly
0: before we finish can you please tell us about the amazing exciting thing you have planned for schools for next year
1: Well, yeah, so we've been running the diploma now for 10 years and I am constantly blown away by the impact that that uh, has. And one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to create something a little bit more uh, uh, available to everybody. Um, so we created a little while ago the Certificate 4 in Wellbeing Science. And what's really exciting that we'll launch next year is going to be really helpful for schools because it will hopefully be for 16 plus. And a Cert 4 gives eight hour points for um, people into uni, which is wonderful. And it's a 12-month course that's going to be available literally for anybody at any age to improve their well-being and give the science. And again, the activities are going to be very much you apply it and it's practical. So the reason that I'm excited about this, and maybe I have a longer-term view, is we consistently hear at the moment around well-being and uh, mental illness, etc., And so many people, ironically, in different parts of the world, often between the ages of 40 and 50, are the people that are choosing to end their lives, uh, which is devastating for their families and for them and, and that we're in this situation. I suppose the thing that I like is in schools, we often teach emotional stuff at a young age and then we kind of forget about it for a while. What I wanted to be able to do is say, well, how could this cert for really help people embed wellbeing strategies into their world so that in 20 years time, we don't have a bunch of 40 year olds um, thinking that the only option is um, their end. Yeah, so that, That's my goal of how do we make this more accessible? Um, and we've got some schools already interested, which is very cool about um, implementing it as either a bridging year into uni or year 11, 12, et cetera, which is really exciting.
0: I just love that in my head I'm um, picturing you know oh, um, students so 16 years and above as you say accessing this for alongside their teachers whom we know you know mm-hmm. we didn't grow up learning this so there's there's educators out there who can benefit from it as well with students together and these like communities of um, in schools appearing around understanding these interventions and it filtering and having massive ripples I think that's so magical.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. So, yeah, watch this space.
0: (laughs) I'll be sharing it too. I think it's wonderful. Well, Sue, thank you so much for um, spending time with us and chatting and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge. As I'm sure our audience can hear, you are a wealth of knowledge and know so many things. And I am always recommending the diploma to anyone. So if that is something you're interested in, I'll put it in the show notes. But also the Cert 4 sounds like it could be um, just as good in this space too.
1: And I'm looking forward to reading your next book. Oh yes, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so thank much. You so thank much, you so much everybody. I hope there was something worth listening to. Oh. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. It was an absolute delight to have you here. If you want to learn more about the work I do in the wellness strategy, whether it's for your own personal well-being or professional and workplace well-being, the best place to hang out with me is on LinkedIn. I share with you an immense amount of content, strategy, and information that's going to help you transform your well-being right now. So head over there, Simple LinkedIn, Amy Green, you should be able to find that it's also in the show notes. And if you need anything else, I'm across all other social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm even trying out TikTok. So you never know where this is going to go. But thank you so much for hanging out with me. If you need anything at all, you can always send me an email, you can find me on those socials. But most importantly, just keep doing the work of well-being.